Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Hello and welcome to Stampede Radio, the very first edition of the ninth podcast that we've done together, but are now calling a different name. Uh, <laughs> That's great. I'm your host. I'm your host, Chris Blystone. And if you're very confused, um, I'm joined as I always, but for the first time, have been <laughs> by by Chris Shepard and Jim Campbell. How's it going, guys? Uh, well, things were good, but now I'm confused. Yeah. Am I supposed to be here? <laughs> so it, it's been a weird past month. So to catch all of you guys up, because undoubtedly the Colts cast hit your feed uh, earlier in the week and you downloaded it and hit play and were confused immediately and thought maybe you downloaded an old episode because, of course, Matt Daly was the host. And so that that had to have been a little bit confusing to you. And... Um, you know, I admit I intended to get a podcast up before that point so that you would have kind of had this explanation under your belt and know what was going on. But basically, Matt took about a month off after, as he told all of you, um, needing to take some some time away. And he, he did take a complete break from football, stepped away and took about a month just in total break. And I think he didn't have a plan at that point necessarily to come back at all, but uh, took a break kind of, you know, found a passion still there and decided to come back. And we thought it was only right to kind of step aside and uh, give that Colts cast name back to Matt because he did build that, you know, that whole thing and put it together. So Colts cast is going to be with Matt. That's going to be a normal thing. And so we're going to be Stampede Radio. We wanted to keep this thing rolling. We like what we've got going on here. And so we're going to continue to bring you great Colts content through that venue You'll be able to find us if you're subscribed to the Stampede Blue Podcast Network. You'll still get our podcast just the same as you always could. And we'll be doing our thing uh, two days a week, usually going to be Wednesdays and Fridays, depending upon how games fall. But we'll be doing our our midweek analysis podcast and our game preview podcast that you'll definitely want to check out. So that's what's going on. That's why all of this very confusing, you know, back and forth and different names and all these different podcasts. That's kind of kind of what's going on here. And obviously there is the Afternoon Pancakes podcast and uh, a quick hitch with with Hudge. And it's like this plethora of Stampede Blue podcasts that have just jumped onto the scene. And probably if you're somebody who took a like the summer off and you're jumping in right before the regular season, you have no clue what's happening because there's, you know, four podcasts instead of the one or the two that you are paying attention to prior. So that's what's going on. We are all supposed to be here. So yes, Jim and Shepard, you're you're supposed to be here, I guess. And so 
does that like mostly clarify the confusion or at least, you know, moderately clarify the ridiculousness that has been the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I can podcast. Well, we'll try now to say words um, to you that make sense. Yes. So, uh, guys, since we've been out, we've actually had a little bit of news we're going to go through, and some of it is, and most of it is not breaking. You've probably been aware of this. It's been stuff that's happened over the past couple of days in terms of roster moves. The Colts actually did move Reese Fountain to IR, waived Derek Kindred, and they signed safety Kai Nakua, running backs Chark Hendrick West and Marquise Young to replace those. So three out, three in. Then they waived Dottie Nicholas, the defensive end, and signed running back James Williams. So just some roster moves, guys, that honestly, uh, if I'm just being real honest with you, I don't know that any of these guys probably stand a chance of making the roster, especially not at this point. Just seems very unlikely. They're camp bodies. They're guys who are going to take reps probably over the coming weeks and, you know, have been brought in to replace guys who were hurt. And so that's kind of what's going on there. Do want to give you a little bit of an injury update because there are a couple of relevant ones. First, Paris Campbell is not practicing yet. And Frank Reich was hesitant to say exactly what the timetable was, but that he did take a step forward was the way he described it. And so that's exciting. We've all expressed, and I think that, you know, Jim, I think that I'm right to say this. We're all excited to see Paris Campbell get back on the field. And uh, so that was good news, but not great news because we still don't have a deadline for when he's going to be back. Yeah, I've been saying since uh, the whole issue with luck you know not practicing through most of training camp that or pretty much all of it that i was ultimately when when campbell's thing came up i was more concerned about campbell's injury and him not getting time practicing and in some of these some of this preseason action than i am andrew luck uh mainly because you know dudes get used to the speed of the game and i want to see him play it's it's really it's disappointing in general. Yeah, I'm really hoping that we're going to see him get back in it sometime over the course of this next week. You got to think that the timetable is similar for him as it would be for Andrew Luck and maybe even a little bit longer in terms of how much they need to see him practice before they'd be willing to put him in a game. And, you know, they may be comfortable using him on, you know, five to 10 snaps if he hasn't really gotten a lot of practice time, but they plan to use him for some of those more gadget play type deals. But honestly, they're going to want him to be more involved in practice if they're going to get him out there. He's not T.Y. Hilton who can miss a bunch of practice and then can just be dropped into the game plan and expect him to just do great because he's a rookie. And he's he's not just a rookie, but he's a rookie who's had limited usage. And so there are some questions and he needs that that practice time. So definitely really stinks to have him have missed so much time. But hopefully him taking a step forward and then playing things very cautiously means that when he's back, he's going to be back and ready to go for the season. So basically, we just we hope he's he's uh, working to get back sooner rather than later. Well, and it's really a shame, too, because Reich was really getting fired up about him. You know, the the work of him, you know, being kind of a one trick pony and not having, you know, the deep ball skills, things like that. And Reich was really getting excited to show that he is possibly something beyond what he was labeled. And you know, for this to happen and, and slow down that momentum really is, is a shame. But with all that being said, it's a hamstring. Nurse it. Take the time. You know, get him right. And we can we can work him back in. It's just 
we're all going to have to suffer a little bit of disappointment until that happens. Yeah. Yeah. The hamstrings are tricky. I mean, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever pulled a hamstring. I have. Uh, and I mean, I ran my 40 in about nine seconds flat. So I can't imagine the <laughs> torque that's going through a hamstring that can run about a 4.3 second 40. So, um, you know, as much as I would like to see the guy play, I want to see him rest up. I want to see him get healthy. And and hamstrings are one of those things that if you don't let it get better, if you don't let it heal, it's just it's going to last forever. So, you know, he he's got to rest up. And and even if we don't see him for the first few weeks of the season, and we have him over the last you know three quarters, or even the last half of the season, uh, I'll take that over you know him dealing with a a bum hamstring all year long. Yeah. I was reading over because I do nerdy things like this. I was reading over a couple of medical journals that were talking about hamstring injuries as they relate to athletes. And one of the things that they said is if hamstrings don't, aren't allowed to fully heal, they have something like a 30% chance of re-injury. They're one of the highest re-injury opportunities of any muscle uh, in terms of, of sports like football, or in, in this case, it was kind of talking about soccer because that's really the most common injury for soccer. So it's studied a little bit more in depth there, but something like a 30% chance of re-injury if it's not allowed to heal fully and properly. So really you want to give it the time to heal and get him back on the field, especially for somebody who relies on their speed. You don't want them playing kind of hampered a little bit by an injury to something that, that is definitely obviously an integral part of that speed. So I say, let him rest. Obviously it stinks that he's missed this much time, but I still think there's value to be found in the role that they have for him and they'll get him involved in the game plan when they can. I mostly it's just selfishness because I'm excited to see him play. Same here. All right. So in addition to that, you know, Reich talked about a couple of other of a couple of other injuries. He did talk about Jabal Sheard and he was pretty um, he was pretty noncommittal. He did not want to talk week one in terms of, you know, making any kind of a judgment call with Sheard. And the way that he said it made it seem like the chances were pretty slim that week one was on the table for Jabal Sheard, that, that he was probably going to be farther out than that. So that's not great. But, you know, we've talked about if we have to miss a couple weeks with Sheard, that's that would be OK. We'd rather, again, do that than rush him back and have him re-injure or, you know, or have a setback or anything like that. So. Yeah, he's he's not really eh, he was he was kind of cagey in his answer about Sheard. just didn't really want to give much more detail and they don't have to at this point. So, of course, they're going to they're always going to tend toward being a little bit more um, evasive in that department. And then Andrew Luck was the big, you know, the big additional thing that he that he talked about that Luck was not going to practice this week. And that to me wasn't really a surprise. Some people treated it like it might be. They're going to slow play this man. They're just not going to hurry him along. And the way that they described it was uh, that he said a combination of full speed movement and pain threshold is what's keeping him out. So somehow when he's ramping up to full speed, there's too there's more pain than he's comfortable with. And until that subsides to a point that he's happy with, they're not really going to work him into anything until they have to. And that makes sense. I mean, if, if they think that the pain threshold right now is too high. And even if they don't think it's going to improve, and to me, this is what Shepard, you've said many, many times, if this is a pain management thing, they're not going to start pumping him full of pain meds so that he can practice a day before he has to. They're not going to do that stuff a day before they have to. They're going to wait it out and hope that it continues to improve and get better. They're going to rehab it as much as they possibly can. And then when it gets down to a, we've got to go and get this, get him game ready, and we're just going to have to make this work. That's when that takes place. But until that point, 
I think you're going to see him sit out if there's any question that he might need to sit out. Yeah, I I mean, I think that's true. I think that they're not going to pump him full of pain meds. But <clears throat> when we when we saw him warming up before the last preseason game, uh, he didn't look like a guy that was in a lot of pain to me. Um, you know, I, I know for a fact Andrew Luck is tougher than I am for sure. Um, but man, he was going through those those movement drills, and you know he was talking and laughing and smile. He didn't grimace, nothing. Um, and you know, would the Colts have put him out there in front of all those people if there was a chance that he wasn't going to be able to do the drill? Or I I don't think Andrew Luck is probably as hurt as what we think he is. I think he he, he probably has an ankle injury, uh, but I think that probably they're just they're just not going to play him in the preseason and they're not going to practice him. And I just I think that if there is an injury, I, I think that there is probably an injury there, um, but I don't think it's as serious as what we've been led to believe just based on just based on the work that he was doing in front of everyone that if he were truly really injured, he wouldn't be doing. Um, so yeah. It, and if there is pain, like you said, that they'll give him plenty of pain meds, let him go out there and do it. As long as there's no risk of further injury, he's going to play. He'll be there week one. I, you can book it. Well, not only would the Colts not put him out there, and and this is just, I think, reiterating what a lot of Colts media folks are saying, is that Andrew has a lot of control over this process, too. And with his own, you know, air towards privacy in his life, especially how he's handled his injuries in the past and what he's been willing to talk about, if he thought he was going to show any signs of, you know, severe injury going out there, he wouldn't have done it. And the Colts aren't going to, you know, tell him no. Uh, from what I've heard and, and or I think we've been led to believe is he he drives these injury processes as much, if not more than the Colts organization does. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been, you know, him kind of making some of those decisions. Yeah. And he's talked about not pushing himself too hard or too early and that that was a lesson that he learned. I think it's all the things that you guys are saying make a ton of sense. And I again, I agree, Shepard, they're not putting him out there. They're not they're not going to risk him re-injuring himself, especially not in front of cameras if they don't think he's up to the task. Right. They're, they're just not going to do that. And like you said, he, I mean, whether it's one thing to be tough, but it's also, I don't think you're smiling and laughing if you're in pain. Um, not, not a significant pain anyway. I mean, you might, you might not be grimacing because he's pretty tough and you might be able to just stand in and look, you know, look kind of stoic, but I have a hard time buying that. You can just be chuckling and goofing off and everything. If you're experiencing significant pain, unless he's just, I mean, he is a completely different type of human being. But regardless, I, I still think that's an odd thing to expect anybody to react that way. Yeah, I mean, we've seen him in severe pain or significant pain. So we know he has a threshold where he can he will grimace if hard enough. I mean, he did wince, I think, when he had a, a, a lacerated kidney. So he is human. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes, because that is how most people treat lacerated kidneys when some <laughs> level of occasional wincing. That's that is that's yeah. exactly how I deal with lacerated organs is just occasionally wince, yeah. occasionally wincing and then beating the uh, one of the better defenses in the oh NFL. God. Yeah. What do you got? What he had like half like a half a game of football left too, didn't he? Like it was 
or what I can't remember how late it was in the game, but it was still more football than I would play if my organ was punctured. Yeah, I mean, and he he winced at least twice, so obviously he's incredibly <laughs> he's incredibly soft. Yeah. That's the takeaway. Andrew Luck is ridiculously soft. He winces at least mm-hmm. twice when bodily organs mm-hmm. are lacerated. What a pansy. I like how whenever we talk about Andrew Luck, this podcast just devolves into talking about his kidney being punctured by a rib. That's because that's, that's a like, that's because that's a ridiculous thing to have had happen, and it's, it's the baseline for Andrew Luck at this it point. Ha- it happened to him on a football field, <laughs> like yeah, that that happens that happens in like war situations. That doesn't happen on a football field, right? I mean, it would have kept playing. It would have made more sense if he got like hit by some by Reggie driving like his Lamborghini in the parking lot to the game than it would have right. for him to. <laughs> sustain that injury and it is ridiculous and most people are getting carted off which i guess i don't know did uh did doyle i mean he he sat out the rest of the game when he got his uh organ punctured <laughs> so oh. i guess i guess there's our As andrew luck should have <laughs> yes so takeaways takeaways so far uh, in the podcast andrew luck soft jack doyle like a puddle <laughs> um, oh is that where it's at <laughs> Andrew Luck dead, Jack Doyle rotting corpse. Yeah, so basically at this point, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this podcast and cannot detect sarcasm, you're going to want to go ahead and <laughs> tune out because it's only going to get worse from here. None of us really think Andrew Luck or Jack Doyle are soft. I'll go ahead and spell that out for you. Um, this this is your one and only time that we're going to explain our our uh, our sarcasm. <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to leave that to you to determine the rest of the way. Um so in addition to the Andrew Luck not practicing news, Frank Reich kind of did a backpedal this week. Uh, early in the week, he talked about the idea that week three of the preseason, the, the, the standard that you hear, it's the dress rehearsal. And this is really the uh, preparation leading up to the, you know, week three is, is kind of a preparation in every phase. And I think in some ways it's still going to be because they talked about uh, how that means more than just on game day, but that they actually go through the process of having team meetings and preparation the way that they will uh, for week one and forward in terms of game planning, and all that stuff. Now, of course, they won't implement an entire game plan the same way, but they're going to do a lot of things in the same way as they would do for week one so that when that day comes, they kind of have practice it and are ready um, you know, to, to ramp up to that level. But they're not going to start any of their starters or at least most of their starters they've said. So apparently he was texting in a, uh, in a, a back and forth text with Matt Nagy, the bears head coach. And they kind of both came to the conclusion that, Hey, we're not going to start our starters. Okay. We're not going to start our starters either. I don't know who made that decision. I don't know if the bears were the driving force there, but regardless, Reich kind of then backpedaled today and said, you know, we're not going to start most of our starters week three. We're going to sit most of them. And so we can expect week three, rather than being an on-field dress rehearsal, where a lot of times for the first half of the game, you get a legitimate look at the the first team offense and defense. Ain't going to happen. Colts are not starting their starters. We may see a couple, but for the most part, it's going to be backups all the way through from here on out. Good. Fine. Yeah. I, I mean, so from from an on-field entertainment perspective, like, yeah, it's not great, but I mean, I really don't care if we ever win a preseason game ever ever it, it just it doesn't matter so if if frank reich feels that the, the ones are good to go which i i kind of think they are we returned a lot of starters and the the guys that we added that are new uh 
really have kind of played a lot of football. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not worried about the team being ready uh, based on the fact that we had a first-time head coach, first-time offensive coordinator, and first-time defensive coordinator last year. And not once last year did I think, man, it shows that these guys are new at what they're doing. They were prepared from day one. So I don't think these guys are going to be rusty on come week one. I think they're going to have the players prepared and ready to go. So this doesn't bother me. I'm happy that you know none of the ones well the vast majority of the ones aren't going to play and if they're not playing they're not going to get hurt so i i'm good with it after what happened to the jets this week was was avery williamson tore his acl like i mean it's yeah i i get it get him out there get him somewhat loose but i really don't care and i I know we're kind of i hate no pun intended beating a dead horse here but um I think we're all pretty set in that we don't care. <laughs> I think we've been in agreement for this for some time. Yeah. So I actually do care, but I care for a totally different reason. Uh, and it's totally selfish. It's because I have to write about the Colts and think of things to talk about mm. regarding the Colts for the next two weeks until real football starts. And so very selfishly, I would really like to see the starters play, but I actually don't want to see them play. It's it's a, you know, on the one hand, don't at all want any Colts to be injured, and I'd much rather see the starters sit because really, like you said, Shepard, they hit the ground running from week one. The only issue that they had was that they had injuries, and so, you know, they had starters who were out hurt. Had that not happened and had they had their starting group, they probably win even more games than they won last year. So I agree. I, it's a struggle for me. The part of me that is selfish and wants to be entertained is annoyed that I have two weeks now of boring football still ahead of me, but ultimately it's probably the right thing. So I'm going to try to get over my selfishness. I'm kind of in the exact opposite boat here. You know, prior to doing this show, my friends and I always talked about like how kind of we were to see, you know, these uh, death chart battles. And then we'd watch a quarter or whatever the starters and then all of us would just inevitably drift off, pay attention at all. So I actually watch the games because I have to come and talk about them. And it gives me a reason to actually look at those battles, start to pay attention to certain things. So for me, I guess I'm, I'm the new guy here. You know, uh, I'm the greenhorn. So that actually has kind of got me excited about watching these preseason games. Uh, and I can put aside that the starters aren't playing because I didn't care about watching them for the most part anyway, because I, A lot of them are known quantities at this point. So getting to actually watch this from an analytical standpoint has made me somewhat excited about the preseason, even though it's still really boring football. Yeah, it's definitely there are definitely some things to be excited about. And there are players that I'm excited to watch. I'm just getting to a point now where I feel like I have a pretty good read on the guys that I like and the guys that I don't think are going to make this roster. And I'm just ready for football. So I'm just getting antsy. Basically, I'm your stereotypical millennial. I want it now. And I don't want to wait anymore. And I'm irritated that it's not available to me now. I'm, I'm, I've been raised on Netflix, um, you know, even though I'm not young enough that that's actually true. So anyway, um, we're going to deal with two more weeks of preseason. It's going to be what it is. We're going to get to see those backup bat- battles. We're going to watch carefully. Um, specifically, I think at wide receiver and tight end, we're going to see those battles really heat up for the last spots on the roster and maybe at corner. Although I feel like that one has kind of solidified itself a little bit more, but we've still got a couple spots up in the air there and uh, we'll get a chance to see kind of how that shakes out. Some of this stuff, again, 
these guys are battling because they're it's up in the air how many spots they're going to be. We think that luck is going to be fine, but again, we don't know for certain. And until we start to see, we may not we may not know until cuts are made. But I mean, if they have to keep three quarterbacks, obviously that changes the depth chart up a little bit. So we've got guys who are who are still very much in the thick of battles, and this gives them more opportunities to show their skills. And um, and and inevitably, you know, we could see other injuries that obviously would change things as well. But um, some interesting things still to keep an eye out for, even if the football itself is not the most compelling thing that you've that you've seen. So with all that said, we're going to go ahead and take a real quick break. And when we get back, we're going to go uh, through some winners and losers from last week's game. So we'll be right back after we hear from our sponsors here. Okay, guys, I want to talk to you about TickPick. TickPick is a great way to get tickets to see the Colts or any other sports, music, or entertainment event of your choice. Not only will you save 10 to 15% off every ticket order, you can do it without any annoying fees at checkout. Think StubHub, but without the fees. Just head to TickPick.com, select your seats, and head to checkout. Get on your way to the next Colts game with TickPick. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial Series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back, and we're going to talk winners and losers from last week's game. Um, I, I thought this game was a much better showing for the Colts. Uh, I didn't think that it, there, it was nearly so easy to just pick out a bunch of losers like it seemed like in week one, and that was encouraging. There were some guys who showed dramatic improvement from week one to week two, and then there were some guys who I thought still continued to to show that they were quality players. But I had a little harder time. I don't know about you guys. I had a harder time picking out losers this week than I did last week. I don't know if you guys felt that way or or if you maybe you saw more losers than I did, but I, I felt like it was a little bit better showing. Yeah, I agree. I had a, I, I had a couple guys that kind of jumped out to me as losers, but um, yeah, for the most part, I, I saw I saw more positive than negative. Same here. Okay, Shepard. Well, since you since you've got more positive than negative, you say go ahead and throw out a winner that you saw from from this game and and uh, tell us what you thought about him. Um, I've got there's plenty to choose from, but if I'm going to go with one, I'm going to go with Deion Kane. Um, the guy had a lot of nice catches, uh, some nice grabs. He he did have a, a tough a tough drop over the middle, but if he would have made that catch, it, seriously, it would have been nothing short of just a miraculous catch. But besides that one one spot, um, he was used a lot. They tried to go to him in the screen game some, which I thought was was interesting. Just I think that. That's probably going to be something that they hope that he can do is create after the catch. Um, so, you know, I thought that he he looked really good. Obviously, he had a, 
you know, he had a lot of balls thrown his way, so he had a lot of opportunity to look good, but I thought that he did good things with those opportunities, and and uh, I thought it was a really good showing for Deion Kane. Yeah, he did exactly what we talked about we hoped that he would do, which was to take that next step and illustrate that maybe he'd had a confidence boost, that he was going to come out and really kind of give a little bit more and, you know, push a little bit more and, and see what he had there. I thought that showed up on, you know, I thought that showed up well. It didn't hurt that, you know, that, and we'll, we'll maybe talk about him a little bit later, but it didn't hurt that Philip Walker, I thought, had a much better game. And so then when that's the guy you're catching most of your balls from when he has a better game and throws a better ball, obviously it benefits the receiver. So I think that that probably helped. Um, But he made all he made all kinds of different catches. And that was something that I thought was really exciting to see was that he wasn't just making, you know, these little wide open out routes in a soft zone like we we talked about in week one that he's that he's making these catches that, you know, you really have to make even to be considered as a possibility. Um you know, but he made some toe drag catches on the sideline. He made some contested catches. He's over the middle a little bit. He did all kinds of different things and seeing him get used in multiple ways. That's important because he's going to need to be able to do that to get on the field during the regular season. He's probably going to be, I would say, competing for, well, he, he may get, a, depending on Paris Campbell's health, he may get a shot to get more snaps early, but he's going to have to do pretty well to get a, a whole lot of usage Um because he's probably the fourth or fifth receiver on the on the depth chart, if you know, assuming which we all do that he's that he's a lock on the roster. So, agree with you. He was very exciting to see um, in action. All right, who do you have, Jim? Well, we'll stick with the uh, the offense, and I'm gonna go with Jacoby Brissett. Dude looked great. I, I have some notes here, and you can see that they evolved. Which I'm gonna say, oh, Jacoby can run. Dang, Jacoby's got some moves. And then, you know, to roll off with his stats of, I think, what was it, 8 for 10, 100 yards, at like 141.8 rating or something like that. Which, you know, it's preseason, whatever. But coming off the the previous showing from him, just everything seemed to be better in general, even if his O-line play was either roughly at the same level it was in Buffalo or worse in some cases. Uh, and the run game was almost non-existent. Uh, his ball placement was really, really good. His pocket movement was pretty fantastic. And, you know, we're we're used to seeing a lot of good pocket movement from our quarterback. So uh, it was nice to see him display it again. Uh, his speed in general. I mean, that those two passes to Ebron were alone. He, he could have walked off field after those have been done. But granted, they came kind of late in in his his run. But, you know, had he come out and did that for, you know, in, in the first couple series, I would have said I'm done for, for the preseason and walk away. It looked that good. Um, I know we've, we've gotten pretty high on Jacoby and maybe we're a bit higher than some others, though, even though I think the league in general regards him as possibly the best backup in the league. And, you know, many people think he can be a starter somewhere for sure, or at least compete for the starting job. And I think he showed everybody uh, exactly that he does still have those skills. Um, it, I was impressed in general. Yeah, I think he definitely looked good. And the thing that I noticed, and we've talked about this being a weakness of his, is that he tended to hold the ball too long. I mean, 2017, he held on to the ball so long. He was so slow yeah. to get through his progressions and find the guy that he needed to get the ball to. And one of the things that I noticed 
in this past game is he hit the back of his drop and he was getting the ball out. And that is a big deal for him because that is, I mean, in Frank Reich's offense, that's going to be, I mean, you're moving the ball. If you're doing that, uh, you may not be hitting your best option, but you're getting the ball to somebody like Devin Funches on one of those crossers. And, and Funches has been just like stupid open across those. And you can anticipate that TY and Paris Campbell and Deion Kane and Eric Ebron are all going to run that route from time to time where they're going across the middle five yards deep and you know they're getting that pass. If he's got the ability to hit that guy at the back of his route and not be holding the ball too long, that makes a huge difference. The one thing that he still did, and I think his receivers did fine with it, and maybe it'll be okay because the receiver quality has gone up a little bit, is he still throws those short passes too hard. He throws everything too hard. He he throws everything. There's no touch. No touch him whatsoever. I mean, I think it's gotten better because it like there was a time when it looked like he like maybe Marlon Mack owed him money or something. And he was trying and he was <laughs> trying to like kill him with the football. There were many times in 2017 where I thought, what is this dude doing? He is trying to kill someone with these little screen passes because he's throwing a fastball at these guys from four yards away. Yeah, but 100, 100 miles an hour. He's got to get some, get a little bit better touch. But I do think he, I mean, I think technically he's better. He's dialed it back a little bit, and I do. I think he he just looked really good. Like you said, the pocket movement was there. He did a good job, a good job with that, and he was he was putting the ball where it needed to be. So there are some areas he can improve. He's not Andrew Luck, and so obviously yeah. it it will be much better to have Luck on the field. But ultimately, he's not hurting himself. I mean, if he continues to perform like this, he's building a case that he deserves to be paid well next year wherever he ends up. So. Definitely enjoyed seeing him look better than week one. When I was at camp, I and they were doing team drills. You're like seven on seven. And I couldn't tell who the quarterback was because somebody was blocking it. I just had to listen to how loud it was when the ball hit the receiver. <laughs> I could literally gauge <laughs> by the sound that traveled across two football fields if Kobe was throwing the ball or not. And I, I think it was put out on Twitter. I think Holder did this. And I think... Uh, Maybe Bowen even mentioned this, that um, maybe even, I think, the, a throw to Deion Kane that was overthrown or something like that, that there's your difference between a, a Jacoby Brissett and Andrew Luck is Luck makes that throw nine times out of ten. There's touch there that needs to be there to, to complete a throw like that. And Brissett just does not, he has not developed that. And like, yeah, it has been dialed back a bit. I think part of that also in talking about going, you know, how slow he was to go through his, his progressions and, and get rid of the ball in 2017. I don't think we can put all of that on Jacoby or even a lot of that on Jacoby. I agree. I, I don't think most of that can. So maybe I'm just making excuses for the guy, but I don't think most of that can be put on Jacoby. Um, I, I get it. He has to be faster progressing through his reads, but he was traded for, I don't remember exactly when, um, but I know that he, he, so he didn't start week mm-hmm. one, but he started week two and he had no time to learn the playbook. He was coming from one system, the um, Erhard Perkins system in, uh, in New England. And he was coming into Indianapolis and learning a whole new system with all new terminology. And yeah, it's true. Everybody runs the same plays, but 
it, it really, they're different languages. You're, you're learning to speak a new language so that you can communicate the play with everybody else on your team. And Jacoby came in and he had to learn how to do that. But also what was different is how you're taught to read uh, the defense, how you're taught to go through your progressions. If you're, if you're getting this look, who are you going to, what, you know, which guy are you supposed to read first based on the play and what look you're getting? So he was going through all of that, trying to learn all of it on the fly. Normally, normally you have a whole off season to, to go through, to learn your playbook, to know what it is you're wanting to do to learn all those things. And then you start to go through the installs and you start to install the offense and you start to go through and, and work through all of that. Well, he, he missed the whole first part of that of learning the playbook. And so he's trying to GM learning the playbook into the installs that they're doing week by week. And something's got to give. And so maybe, maybe Jacoby Brissett can't process a defense quickly. Maybe he can based on what he's done in a Colts uniform, I would argue we don't really know because we haven't seen him in regular season action. We haven't seen him when there is a game plan, when they've done an install, um, when he's had a full off season to prepare. So, you know, that's one of those things that, that is an unknown for Jacoby Brissett from my perspective, based on what he's put on tape. No, he, it doesn't look like that he can, but I don't think it's fair to, to base it just on what we saw in 2017. He was in an impossible situation. So, and there wasn't, the gold standard and coaching staff like he had at New England. What do you mean? How dare you defame Brian Schottenheimer, who was undoubtedly just telling him to hand the ball off to the running back every time. (laughs) Probably. And, and I would say Schottenheimer was probably the better. (laughs) He was definitely, he definitely was uh, (laughs) in in that group. So it's, uh, you know, that was probably the one bright light for him in that whole ordeal. I have to, well, uh, I have, a friend of mine who got to talk to Jacoby quite a bit through that first season and it was rough on him. It would have been rough on anybody. That was impossible. Anybody. Yeah. It it was, it was too much was asked of him. The, like I said, the impossible was asked of him and the, there, the coaching staff wasn't in place to get him in a position to succeed. Well, and, and it very well actually might explain some of his issues with, uh, with the speed on the ball, because if you're slow to get through those progressions because of adjusting to the offense, you may not be seeing your receiver until the moment that they're open and getting rid of the ball late, which means you're putting some heat on that ball. So it could have been a byproduct. I mean, it may be bad habits developed Mm -hmm. as a byproduct of being behind on, on learning the system. So, you know, like you said, Shepard, it may be, it's unfair to malign him entirely, he very well could be a much improved player. He looked like a much improved player in this game. And hopefully we don't have to see him play any games that have been game planned and, uh, and, you know, set out. Hopefully that's going to be Andrew Luck all season long, but you know, we, we just don't really know what he is because he was not in an ideal situation for sure. So if he does have to go out there week one, I feel like at least this coaching staff will do their best to put him in a place to succeed and I don't think the playbook that he will be using will be that much different than what they're going to what they would plan to have out there with Andrew Luck. I agree. Yeah, I mean, they, they want a Super Bowl with a backup quarterback. And I think Jacoby is probably a superior quarterback to Nick Foles. Uh, so I, mm-hmm. I think I think that, you know, you could expect Frank Reich to have him well prepared if he does have to get any playing time. 
Um, so the guy that I would pick and he didn't play a ton, but he hasn't been a winner and he just looked so good that I couldn't really help pick him. Jim, you've already referenced him at my winners, Eric Ebron, man, if he doesn't look every bit as good as he looked last year, I mean, he looked fantastic in the, in his limited work. He just, he just looks so good. And I think he's just going to pick up right where he left off last year. And it was exciting to see that. Um, you haven't talked about him a whole lot. Hilton has been lighting up camp and has been somebody that everybody keeps talking about how good he's looked. Ebron's name hasn't really been out there as much other than that. He looks like he's having a blast, but I mean, he, he just looked fantastic. And I, I just got that vibe. Like this dude is just going to keep right on rolling. He's not going to slow down. Yeah, he uh, he looked really good. Um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things. I don't really know what happened in Detroit, um, but man, I'm sure glad it happened because I'm glad he's <laughs> I'm glad he's playing for the Colts now. Yeah, Stafford's not a terrible quarterback either. Yeah, in, in the grand scheme of things. So what changed? I don't know if it's a pressure thing. I I really have no idea about the mentality of a professional athlete, but I've got to think that for some of those guys that. And it's pretty clear that Ebron pays attention to fans a little bit. I mean, he's pretty quick to respond on Twitter if somebody's calling him out for something. And so he may just be one of those guys that got in his own head too much. The idea of being that first round pick and the pressure and all the fans and, you know, kind of being down on him. Maybe he let that get to him too much. And I I don't know. We don't we have no idea. We have no way of knowing. I think that Andrew Luck's a better quarterback than Matt Stafford. And I oh, think, sure. and, and I think we have a better coaching staff here. And I think we have a coach who really understands how to use tight ends, but ultimately is he doing something dramatic? What I honestly wonder is if the coaching staff there just didn't understand how to best utilize that matchup advantage yep. that Ebron offers, or they just, just didn't. I, I mean, Reich clearly, I mean, he didn't, He's not doing crazy. We've talked about this many times on the pod. Uh, he's not being utilized a ton. I mean, his his usage is not through the roof. He's just being used in the perfect situations for him to win. He's he's being set up to succeed. And that, I mean, once you get inside the 20-yard line, that's Eric Ebron territory. You better expect that he's going to get the ball. And I, I don't know if the Lions just didn't recognize that advantage that they had and Reich does or what, but whatever it is, I don't care. Uh, I'm real excited to watch it work. And, you know, now there are even options that aren't Eric Ebron that you can use in the red zone because you've got a Devin Funches that you can send the other way or Mo Alley Cox. You got Jack Doyle. Um, you've got all these other, all these other weapons in the red zone that you can use. And I think that's just going to open up opportunities for him. And he looks like he's ready to capitalize on those right out of the gate. So that's exciting that to touchdown see. Touchdown catch. It, it's was, a, it was pretty. The hand strength on that man. To, to pull that thing in because he caught it on the back of all and I, I had to watch it like five or six times <laughs> to, to see it like that's ridiculous and and maybe it is just that he's and we've said this time and again already on this episode you know coaching staff goes a long way uh it can do wonders to just understand what you have in front of you and the dude's having fun right clearly loves using him and when you can catch a football like that, because it was coming off Jacoby, so it was traveling a good 350 miles an hour. Um, I, I just can't wait to see more of that in in going forward. And even if Jacoby does have to start week one, we know that can happen. So I'm not worried. Yeah, Shepard, I, I, w- I want to know your opinion on this because maybe I'm, maybe I'm completely off base here. But one of the things that I think there's like a differentiation in coaches now where you've got some coaches who go in with the mentality, we're going to play my scheme, my style of football, 
and we're going to insert these players in and try to get them to do what I want to do in my, in my style of football. And that would be more like in line with the old school style of a coach. And then you've got coaches who kind of adapt their style to benefit based on the players that they have and the the skill sets that they have. And I would say that that's very much what the Patriots have done over the years is to adapt their game plan and their style to the players and the skill sets that they have. I think Frank Reich does that very well. And I think maybe that's part of the reason why guys like Ebron have benefited because he sees what talent there is there. And yeah, he knows the framework of what he wants to do, but he also molds that to, to be benefited by the talent that he actually has. Yeah. So I think that a lot of what you're seeing um, not only with Eric Ebron, but with the the current the current path of the Indianapolis Colts, and we I think that pretty much everybody watching Colts games kind of agrees that the Colts are on an upward trajectory, and a lot of it is just the fact that Chris Ballard and Frank Reich are in lockstep as far as what they need to make the systems run, and and also um, Matt Eberflus, he, he's obviously in there too. He's running the defense, um, I you know. I, I'm willing to bet that Frank Reich has some say in the defense. Like if Frank Reich vetoes something, I'm sure it happens. But I, I, I kind of think it's Eberflus's defense to run how he sees fit. So really, those three guys and then working with the position coaches, everybody is on the same page right now with the Colts as far as what they're looking for, what they want at each position. And they're going out and they're finding those guys. Um, and so that's that's ideal. That's what you want. You end up with a, a, an Indianapolis Colts situation. What I feel was happening before with just what we know um, as far as the dynamic between Ryan Grigson and literally everyone else who worked for the Colts, um, I think that a lot of it kind of became – and I, I listen to Pat McAfee talk a lot, um, but basically – what what I've gleaned from just all the different sources was it, it kind of became a an issue of who's going to take the blame, and it wasn't it wasn't about trying to find the best player, and it wasn't for the system, and it wasn't about trying to fit the system to the player. It was well, I mean, I, I ran my stuff. You these are the players you gave me. It's not my fault if they're not any good. So it was it was really about trying to prolong one's job instead of what it should have been about. Um, so you know we can we can talk about the specifics of who did what, but ultimately I think that it's about accountability and it's about focusing on winning. Obviously everyone's focused on winning. um, But if you're focused on being able to blame someone else for not winning, uh, you're focused on the wrong thing. And I I think that ultimately that's what it comes down to for a lot of coaches is self-preservation. And I think that that's what you're saying. And, and it's an ego thing. It's a, well, you know, I I've got my system. You should know what players I need for my system. I'm going to run my system. And if, if you're not giving me the players I need, not my fault. So I, I think that that's ultimately what it comes down to. It's stupid. <laughs> it is really stupid, but it's ego. It, it, it ultimately comes down to ego. Um, I work with a, a guy pretty regularly who uh, he played in the NFL for a long time. Um, I'm not going to name drop or anything. He, and it's not a name that you would know. He did get a Super Bowl ring with the Saints. Uh, and we don't talk about that game. I don't talk to him about that. And luckily he doesn't rub it in. Um, he knows I'm a Colts fan and he's a nice guy. He doesn't talk about it. Um, but he, <laughs> I've talked to him a lot about different things, and he says, you know, he said, you probably think that a lot of NFL coaches are really smart football guys and that they've, you know, they've obviously worked really hard to get there, and you, you probably think they're intelligent. He said, but, you know, they're, they're really not. <laughs> he told me about how many times he would come in at halftime 
And the coach would just look at him and be like, well, guys, I, I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, they're, they're really beating us out there. And <laughs> that's it. But he played in the NFL for a long time. The man has a Super Bowl ring, and that was the type of talk that he would get at halftime. So these guys aren't all geniuses, right? They're, they're not. Uh, as much as they would like us all to believe that, they're, not all of them are. Some of them are pretty dumb, and some of them have huge egos. So I think that that's kind of what you're seeing when you see teams that are unwilling to bend. And I think what the Colts have right now um, is a good mesh and, and a coach like Frank Reich, who's willing to use someone like Eric Ebron uh, in a way that really does play to his strengths as much as possible. So it, it's nice to see. And ego is a big thing. I, I think you're right there. I think there's a lack of egos uh, between the, the front office and the yeah. coaching staff that really shows through because you don't get pointing fingers when there's no egos in the room. You get a people working together to solve a problem. Um, you know, that's I'm not to go into my work, but I, I actually, part of the reason I love my job is because I honestly love the team I work with. Nobody's afraid to ask questions. Nobody's afraid to, to say I screwed up. How can I make this better? Uh, you know, we're, we're in the process of hiring somebody now. And my boss is big on the personality that we bring into this team because we don't want to mess up this dynamic. I think you have a, a front office and a coaching staff, or at least your GM and your head coach who, who operate in, right. in that. And they've even said, as, at least for, as far as the locker room is concerned, but I don't even think the locker room, I think it goes beyond that. It goes to all facets of what the front office and, and the, the coaching is doing. I mean, look at the, uh, what the next pick, how much emphasis they put on how much Ballard trusts his scouts and, you know, in that room, there, there are no titles. Everybody leaves their title at the door. And it is a complete 180 from right. what we had in, in the previous regime. And it shows across every facet of this team to the, you mm -hmm. know, to the way that they handle interviews and the way they handle their personnel decisions to the product that's on the field. It all just feels like everybody's there for one purpose, and that's to play good ball and have a good time and give the fans a good show. Cause that's ultimately what it's all about. Definitely. Um, well, do you guys, either of you have any other winners? I've got one more, but anybody else have a winner that you want to throw out there? Can I say um, the D line? <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> so who, who was it that I, you guys, but I heard D line and did you say Ben Banigou? Yeah. Ben Banigou. I, I liked what I saw from Ben Banigou. I want to see more from him. Uh, I mean, you know, we obviously didn't, uh, didn't do anything in week one. Um, but uh, I liked what I saw. Uh, and I think that just based on the, the limited amount we saw him in there, I think that he might be, he might be the guy that starts instead of, uh, Al-Qadim Muhammad. So, um, you know, I like what I saw mm -hmm. there and, and uh, I want to see more. He got some good pressure, got some good movement. He's thicker than I thought he would be. And you can take that comment <laughs> however you want. I don't care. I, I, yeah, I, Banigou stood out to me. I D line in general just had a way better game uh, this this go around. Mm -hmm. uh, Toure, even though his sack was somewhat aided, yeah, um, very much his it was completely his uh, his his run game was pretty good. Uh, he got some penetration yeah. and and you know uh, he got some tackles for a loss. So I, I was very very mm -hmm. pleased to see that. I felt better about his performance in that one game than I did about his performance uh, 
all last season. Well, it certainly didn't hurt that Justin Houston was in on the action a little bit yeah. either. That probably yeah. a little bit, yeah, uh, helped a, a smidge. Um, but that's what we want to see. Absolutely, he needs to, to command that attention so that people like Torre right. can hopefully get that edge and get it. And there. and and he needs to take it. Torre needs to take advantage of that when he is getting that additional yeah. attention too. So so that's that's all good stuff. Shepard, uh, you, so you gave Bandigu. So I'll go ahead and throw mine out here because I've been kind of I've kind of jumped on this bandwagon. Hale uh, Hinkus is a new favorite player of mine. Uh, for the Colts, the guy that I really would like to see make this roster. And he has had a really good couple of preseason games and kind of is the Jack Doyle 2.0 kind of guy who just looks like he is capable of kind of doing a little bit of, of everything. And the more that I watch him, the more that I think, man, I'm not going to be surprised if this guy beats out Ross Travis for this spot. I, I know that they would like to have another move tight end and Travis gives them some matchup advantage that they uh, like what they have out of Ebron. But if I'm real honest, I think that versatility is going to maybe sell Hankus a little bit higher. And um, I don't know. I got a feeling that this guy maybe makes the the 53-man roster and and gets an opportunity uh, to get some valuable playing time because he just he's he's a versatile player and he's looked good. He's continued to be able to do things. They've uh, the way that they've talked about him. Uh, he's glued at the hip to Jack Doyle, asking a ton of questions and working really hard. And I just feel like that's the kind of thing this coaching staff is going to be excited about. And and I don't know, fingers crossed that he continues to you know give solid performances. But I don't think he's going to make it through. I don't think they can get him to the practice squad. I think he's looked good enough in preseason that I wouldn't be surprised for some, if somebody picks him up. Yeah. So the the one note I took, and the, I could have taken a lot, but the one note I took on Hank is was will be tough to cut. Um, he's looked really good. He's been productive. He's been open. He's, he's done all the right things. Um, and I, you know, I don't know that you can cut him. I, there's going to be some team that obviously has watched him and likes what they've seen. And I think if you cut him and you, you hope to get him to the practice squad, I think he's going to be gone, which is actually a great thing because it means that if you're cutting a tight end who you really want, then your four tight ends are going to be excellent. And that's exciting. I mean, I, I I'm yeah. not going to be heartbroken if he's gone. I would really like to see them keep him. But if he, if they keep Ross Travis, that's a huge asset as well. And I think that they'll they'll be in a really good shape at the tight end position. But uh, pulling for that guy, hope that he hope that he can make the roster uh, because I think that he's got uh, a unique skill set. And with Jack Doyle, uh, likely in my opinion, unlikely to be re-signed after this season. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they keep him around, but yeah. I th- I think it's unlikely. Uh, it'd be pretty great to have somebody who could kind of step into that similar type of role. So we'll see. Okay, Jim, I'm going to let you start us off throughout your loser. Ooh, fun. I'm going to go with Zach Pascal. Just not good looks for him. You know, uh, probably uh, one of um, the best passes, <laughs> one of the deepest passes was going to go right to him. He just would have turned around. I, I know it's preseason. It's going to be little hitches like that, but you know, there's, there's a real fight for that, that last spot on, on the wide receivers. And usually his special teams play did a lot of work for him, but I didn't see a lot of that this time around. And I just saw, you know, quite a few blunders from him in the actual uh, passing game itself. So yeah, I, there's a good chance that he, you know, if, if he continues to play like this the rest of the preseason, and it's going to be interesting to watch and see if he steps it up at all. There's a good chance he doesn't make this team. Yeah, I mean, he missed 
so so he didn't have any catches. He was targeted twice, and you know one of them was that drop that probably is a touchdown if he gets his head around. I, I don't know if you call that a drop. I yeah, he I don't think he even got his hands on it. To me, that's that should be a catch. I mean, the ball was the ball was on the money. And, and who taught through that? I can't remember which quarterback that was. I think that was Philip Walker. Yeah. It was, I think it was Walker. Yeah, it's, I, I think I was thinking, man, Walker's got to feel so bad because that's the best pass yeah, thrown all night. And it dude just, just didn't. It even. might be the best pass he's thrown ever. Um, I mean, it was a nice yeah. ball. And it should have been, if it wasn't six points, it was going to have him have them right on the doorstep. And, and he blew it. And the other thing is, he wasn't returning kicks. Ashton Doolin was back returning kicks. So. It's one of those things you I mean, I understand that, you know, you're going to have some mistakes and things like that. You can't afford mistakes when you're scrapping for that bottom roster spot. He doesn't produce a lot of upside as a receiver. And I assume that the reason he's not back returning kicks is they feel pretty comfortable in his kick return ability. They don't think that they probably need to see a lot of that necessarily. So they're giving other guys an opportunity uh, to see what they've got there. But, you know, I mean, he didn't really give I mean there was no contribution on on his part and he possibly cost them points uh there on that on that particular play so uh, yeah not a good showing from Zach Pascal especially for a guy who really really needs to have good games throughout the rest of the preseason if he's going to have a chance to make the roster so you, you don't want to be the guy on the bubble not making plays that's that's a bad spot to be in all right so who's your guy Shepard uh, my first guy, um, and this is a guy that, you know, we never really want to see play anyway, um, but he didn't look good. Antonio Garcia uh, was in a left tackle. He had multiple holding calls, and he gave up a pretty bad sack right after a bad holding call. Um, and, you know, I'll cut him some slack because this this officiating crew was in midseason form, uh, and they threw every single flag they could possibly throw. Um, but with that said, giving up multiple holding calls, a bad sack against uh, the other team's twos and, and threes. It's not a good look. Uh, Antonio Garcia had a pretty rough day. Yeah, I'm actually starting to wonder if there's a possibility they're going to start looking for backup offensive linemen on the waiver wire. I haven't been real impressed with some of the depth there. I know, I mean, you know that the starters are set, but it wouldn't surprise me if Chris Ballard was churning through the waiver wire a little bit at cuts to see if there's a better option out there uh, at some of the offensive line positions. I don't, I don't know that, but it wouldn't be surprising to me at all if they, if they cycled some guys out um, to fill some depth there. But yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't want to see that a lot. I mean, like you said, there were so many penalties. I think that could probably be a loser in and of itself. Anybody who had to watch that game because they just kept throwing penalties and it was just exhausting as it, it was a little bit over the top in general. I don't, I don't know if the officials just like hated us and wanted to make us suffer, but I think it was something like 29 flags that were thrown. Um, it's almost 300 yards of penalties between the two teams. We had 164 of them. Yeah, it was it was not good. It's insane. All right, so um, for me, I, you know, I honestly didn't have anybody that I like. I didn't have a ton. None of these guys that I feel like. Oh, they. Re- I mean, Zach Pascal was probably my strongest feeling in terms of, you know, in terms of just a guy that I felt like really dropped the ball, you know, both figuratively and literally. 
But another guy that I would would pencil in as kind of a loser is Jalen Collins. And he's had a rough offseason because he has been posterized basically all offseason. I mean, every highlight play seems to find him in the background. And I couldn't help but notice. And this just seems to happen. And, and this is never a good thing when you're just casually watching a game and a player jumps off the screen because he's getting burned. That's not a good situation to find yourself in. And every time I looked to see who it was, it seemed like it was always Collins. And the the one most notable one, and this this is something that Paris Campbell did to him actually early on in camp. You know, he gave up a touchdown and this was toward the end of the game, but he gave up a touchdown and there was a remarkable amount of separation considering that the the play started from, I think, within the 10 yard line um, and it was pass play and he he had he had just completely let his man get free from him. And Campbell did the same thing, got a significant amount of separation. And at the time I thought, you know, that's really great. Paris Campbell ran a great route and got separation from Jalen Collins. Now I'm not sure uh, whether Paris Campbell did a great job or Jalen Collins was just lost because it, it just, he hasn't looked good. He's, he slowly has seen him himself steadily plummeting uh, farther and farther down the depth chart. And I just don't see any way that he makes this roster. And I'm not sure that he makes the practice squad. I'm not, I think they maybe have seen everything they need to see from him at this point. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong there, but you know, he just hasn't looked good. And I didn't think he looked good in this game either. And if I call correctly, didn't we mention, or at least it's been shown that every time the Colts media posted some spectacular pass um, completion from camp, it was Jalen Collins getting burned most of the time yeah, yeah normally it was yeah. yeah it's actually starting to make me self-conscious about the quality of our receivers because i'm starting to wonder if they're just picking on jalen collins <laughs> i don't think that's the case but there's some subconscious part of me that's nervous that's thinking man i really hope that jalen collins has just not tricked us all into believing that we're better than we really are um but yeah frustrating because of course we we think that he has talent and, and that he could have you know been a, a part of quality depth for this um for this group, but by the same token, better to find out now than to to keep him around and think that he's going to contribute in a significant way. So I don't know. I would say he's just about worked himself off of any chance of, of making the roster. I don't know your guys thoughts on that, but I think, I think at this point we can just about say he's probably not going to be a part of the Colts plan going forward. So anybody else have another loser to throw out there? I've got a couple that I would say are, maybe like honorable mentions, but nobody I feel strongly about. Yeah. So I've got a big one. Uh, the biggest loser of the last game the Colts played were the Browns announcers. Uh, I don't know if anyone else had to suffer through the Browns announcers, but uh, out here in Kansas city, I watched on, on uh, my, uh, the NFL I can never think of the name. It's not, it used to be game rewind, whatever. I've got the the thing where I can watch preseason games and all the games later and watch it all 22 game pass. Do what game pass game pass. That's what I've got. Yeah. Yeah. hundred bucks a year. I can watch all the, all 22. I want normally except for preseason and I get to watch preseason games. So on there, they had the Browns announcers and it was, I mean, you know, you expect some homerism, but I mean, it was really, really bad. It was Um, pretty rough. Yeah, the when there there was the the late it was a late hit personal foul, and so what happened was was that it was the fum it was a fumble. Chad Kelly, um, the snap came low. Chad Kelly ran back, just fell on the ball. 
you could have counted to three Mississippi and that a defensive end comes in and dives at Chad Kelly after the, the whistle had blown. Whistle blows, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. Defensive tackle comes in, and he barely he barely touched Chad Kelly on the helmet. And the Browns announcers were going on about how back in the day you would have been embarrassed to throw a flag on just barely touching someone in the helmet and how these new rules have, you know, whatever, (laughs) dude, it it was a late hit and a late hit has always been illegal in the NFL. It wasn't that he touched his head. It was that you could have counted to three from the time the whistle blew until he got hit. So the Browns Browns announcers were awful, were awful and we were all losers for having to listen to them. So. Yeah, that the local broadcasts are consistently the worst part about the preseason yeah. because it's one of the most infuriating things to me is when you're trying to watch, especially when you get into the third and fourth quarters, when you're trying to watch some of these depth players and they cut like there's a replay and you really are hoping, I mean, there's a play that takes place and then they cut to a replay of something that happened five minutes earlier of the other team and they're they're showing this completely irrelevant replay and it's like man i'm trying to watch what just happened and you're showing me an irrelevant replay from five minutes ago because you're the home team or you're cut or even worse you're cutting to literally just instead of giving me a replay you're cutting to a picture or you're cutting to a shot of the of the you know home team's huddle of nothing happening or of the sideline or of that really dumb interview on the sideline that they Mm -hmm. insist on doing where they small screen the game and then let somebody talk about nothing for, you know, a solid two minutes while I'm trying to watch the game. Those are definitely the worst. And the announcers usually are terrible. Uh, I'm sure the Colts announcers are frustrating too, but I, I feel like for the most part, they're a little bit less biased than, than some groups I've, I've watched some and just thought that they were, awful the Seahawks uh, uh, last season come to mind as well in terms of of just not being like they didn't even hardly mention that the Colts were on the field it was basically just constant Seahawks talk which it would be fine if that broadcast were not being used for game pass and things like that so I feel like that should should inform how the broadcast is done I mean I understand they're playing to their primary audience but also if you know that it's going to go up on game pass or, or, or even better, hey, NFL, why don't you make both feeds available? Yeah. There's literally no reason you couldn't do that. Absolutely and make no the- reason. That's it, It's not a technological no. hurdle no. to get both of them up there, unless there's some weird licensing stuff, but I, I doubt it at that point. Um, and quite honestly, that might be interesting, because if you wanted to know more about an opponent you're going to play yeah. later, you could watch their specific feed and listen to what their announcers are saying about, because you're going to get more information about their rookies, but like... They're not talking about our rookies. They're not giving updates on individual players. You're not getting that in-depth knowledge, and that sucks. So missed opportunity there, and yeah, we're definitely losers for having had to deal with that. I, I think this year, uh, the Colts this year, actually, with uh, Greg Regstraw and and Rick Venturi, is actually not terrible. Um, I could actually handle those guys for the radio broadcast, uh, and it wouldn't be that bad. Uh, Venturi's got some really good insight into the game and he's a really good color analyst um yeah those browns announcers and even watching the condensed game was really really brutal especially because in the condensed game you know it comes in like mid-conversation for those guys on some of the plays and he's like what are you morons talking about yeah if 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 in mid-sentence you can tell that what they're saying is dumb that's a (laughs) that's a problem all right so yeah not great not not 
what you want, and we get two more weeks of that loveliness. We're going to be back. Well, actually, we're going to be back. By the time you get this, we're going we're gonna to basically have a couple of days, and then we're going to have another episode drop here. And we're going to be kind of previewing some things here, preparing for this, this next matchup against the Bears. Obviously, there's going to be more depth uh, battles to be decided. And, you know, we'll, we'll continue to track all the injuries, whatever we see from Andrew Luck, whatever we see from Paris Campbell and some of these injured guys, that's going to be kind of informing us. Uh, the 26th is the deadline that we're really watching for really, I think probably both of those players in terms of seeing them play week one. And that is the Monday after this next game. And that's kind of the timetable that they've said they want Andrew to start practicing at that point or, or be preparing at that point. So we're going to really watch carefully over the next couple of of days. We've got a, well, I'll just tell you the guest that we teased several times was actually going to be Matt. Uh, and then he decided to come back full, you know, um, you know, full force at, on the Colts cast. And so we're not going to have Matt as our guest because he's going to be doing his own thing, but we do have a really exciting guest coming up in the next week or so. I've been reaching out and communicating with him to kind of nail down a time. So I'll let you know, uh, at that time, once we have things uh, firmed up in terms of that. But I think you're going to be really excited about it. I know all three of us are going to be very excited about it. Um, Stoked. Yeah, you may not be nearly as excited as we are. And if that's the case, and all of you are kind of like ho-hum about it, we won't care because we're going to be really excited about this interview and this guest. So, um, Like I go a couple days and don't think about it. And then all of a sudden I remember that it's happening and I get really excited and I don't even know what's happening. I just know it's going to happen. And I can't contain my excitement about it. All right. I'm going to spill the beans. It's Brad Pitt. Yes. Brad. Yes. He's he's it's going to be it's actually Brad Pitt and he is playing his character from Inglorious Bastards. Um Oh, hell, I think he could play his, his character from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I have so many questions. Bonjourno. <laughs> All right. Um, no, but in reality, it's not Brad Pitt. It's actually Spider-Man. We're, we're negotiating a deal to get him back to the MCU. Um, and we're going to do our best, guys. But I don't know. Bob Iger called us and said, hey, you guys are total Disney nerds and then they're Shepard. Please get Spidey back into the MCU. And Chris and I were like, we got you. We got this. Yeah. So, so we're to take I don't even know what you guys are talking about right now, but okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll yeah. So Shepard is going to be kind of a spectator in this, but we're going to, we're going to save the MCU for you guys. So um, that's definitely what's happening. And our guest is definitely Spider-Man and not someone completely different. Go on believing that um, as always. Uh, we appreciate your feedback. We appreciate you liking, subscribing. I actually put out a post on Stampede Blue. If you are like you know many people that you know people like Jim and I and and, and Shepard, we all listen to a lot of podcasts, and we sometimes take for granted that people just understand that process, that people understand the point of podcasts, or understand all of that. If you are newish to the process. There's a good post up that kind of walks you through how to subscribe, how to find us, all that stuff. If you subscribe to the Stampede Blue podcast, as I said at the top of the show, you're you're in for any shows that come out, and so you can go in and subscribe and, and get access to all that stuff. That way, we'll be consistently putting out podcasts, something to the tune of of a podcast every day, which may be a lot for some of you. But you know, you don't have to listen to every one of them. I mean, you can skip some of ours, but I would I would say you know you you can like skip every other or maybe just don't skip all of them or maybe just neglect your other responsibilities and listen to all of our podcasts all the time and you know that's probably the way that I would recommend that you go but yeah follow us 
you know, check us out on Stampede Blue. There's going to be more content coming all the time, I believe. And I don't want to, you know, I want to spoil it or anything, but I, I believe that Shepard has got his conspiracy report in the works, his first one. And that's going to be something we're definitely going to be discussing on the show. Uh, so excited to debut that segment here in a week or however much time that, you know, that that one's going to drop. So we're going to have that coming for you. And as always, follow us at Chris Blystone, at NFL Scheme, at Jim Campbell 81 on Twitter. Interact with us there. Um, rate and review our podcast five stars. We really appreciate it. Let us know what you think about the show. Contact us. Um, be like the guy today that told me that I apparently do drugs because I, because I think that Leonard Fournette is the worst starting running back in the AFC South. Um, anything like that, you know, do whatever you like, whatever gets you excited. We're, we're good with it and keep checking out the podcast. We really appreciate it guys. I think it's time to get out of here. Sounds good. All right. Later. All right. Till next time, guys. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.